This episode of Toes on the Line is brought to you by Thorn. Thorn has the most extensive line of NSF certified for sport products. To receive 20% off any Thorn product, simply go to my website, coachgeograssi.com, and become a subscriber. Welcome to the Toes on the Line podcast. I'm your host, Gio Grassi, and today I'm flying solo again. I'm going to stay on the topic of rate of force development because it's been something I've been looking into a lot with our force plates and our isometric thigh pulls and our jumps. And it's a fascinating thing that I've been reading a lot about in my career. Um, started learning a lot more about it when I was with the New York Giants. And Rodney Hill, a good friend of mine, continues to do extensive work on that. And we're always in conversation on rate of force development and things to look for and, and how do you identify an improvement, a detriment in skill, or just a fatigue marker. So basically, what is rate of force development? It is the measure of explosive strength or how fast the athlete can develop force, and it is the speed in which contractile units of muscle can develop force. So we're basically looking at force time curves here when we're talking rate of force development. Lifting an astronomical amount of weight is great when you're looking at it with the naked eye, but when we're looking at it in the context of sport, The force being produced is one thing. The speed at which force is being produced is a whole nother thing. That is a whole nother animal, and I think that always wins on the athletic field. Obviously, strength is important. I'm not saying strength and the ability to produce a lot of force is not important. You know, that is, I want to say that is the prerequisite to having efficient rate of force development because if you cannot develop a lot of force, what makes you think you could develop a lot of force in a short amount of time? But we do see a diminished return on investment when we start to continue to strength train people and continue to you know push for 1RMs when they reach a substantial amount. And I'm just throwing an arbitrary number at you. I'm, you know, let's say you could bench press 405 pounds. You know, what makes you think going from 405 to 425 is going to make you the better athlete? I would I would suggest, hey, you could bench 405. You know, that is. Whatever times your body weight, let's just say the person weighs 200 pounds, that's two times your body weight. Hey, let's try to move 70% of that a little bit faster. You're working on rate of force development. Hey, let's try to produce more force in this small amount of window time that we have, which basically what sports is. You have a small amount of window time to react, read, or accelerate from point A to point B. And that's what rate of force development is. It is the force that can be generated in early phase of muscle contraction and it influences performance on force velocity tasks, basically what I was talking about. And a lot of research suggests anywhere between 250 to 300 milliseconds of contraction time and saying, okay, from zero to that is your rate of force development window. If you have a very low rate of force development, the chances of you being explosive off the ground to jump, time to take off, would be less. Say we jump, both jump a 40-inch vertical. Say I need to squat a little bit lower than you do to generate that force to get off the ground to get that high. Hey, number one, I'm getting lower, which means I don't have adequate amount of strength as you might have. But there's a lot of other factors, limb length, architecture, your, your muscles might be a little bit shorter, whatever the case is. But let's just, let's just go from what we're talking about here. We're both jumping a 40-inch vert. You do it at a faster task than what I can. Your time to take off is less. Your 
squat depth is less, your counter movement depth is less, hey, you have a higher rate of force. You can produce force faster in a shorter amount of time and distance, which gives you the upper hand on being the better athlete, if that makes sense. So, hey, it might not make you a starter on the field, but I'll tell you what it'll do. It'll give you better chances of getting onto that field to play because you have superior attributes. So what are some ways to improve rate of force development? Well, the first thing's first. You have to have a prerequisite in strength. And without adequate levels of strength, you're handicapping yourself to just the velocity end of the spectrum. In order to have a great amount of power, you have to have a lot of force coupled with some great velocity. If you have a lot of velocity and low force, well, you're fast, but you're not strong. If you have too much force and not a lot of velocity, well, you're strong, but you're not fast. You're a gorilla, whereas the other guy's a kangaroo, and you want to kind of have a balance there. It's not always going to be perfect, but rate of force, we need to produce a lot of force quickly. You train with loads at higher velocities to increase force output at higher velocities. Okay, so once you have that prerequisite level of strength, we can start to do this latter portion of what I just said. And that's different from person to person and sport to sport. Now, am I not going to expose someone to the velocity end of the spectrum in training? Absolutely not. I will. But I will continue to adjust strength if the individual requires that. We're not going to say, hey, we can't sprint you or condition you because you're not strong enough or coach is not going to say hey you can't practice today because you're not strong enough no 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 so we need to expose athletes to both ends of the spectrum however knowing your athletes and who needs what okay strength is always a prerequisite and then we can get into a little more velocity based training and then plyometrics and sprint training to improve that stretch shortening cycle performance will increase overall neural stimulation so that's ways to improve it and then we can further the conversation by saying increasing rate of force will simultaneously reduce the time in which peak rate of force occurs, which is going to result in a left and upward shift of the force time curve. And this is something I've spent a lot of time on these last couple of weeks just looking at with my football players. So we'll put them on the force plate and we'll do our testing. And then I'll go in and look at our force time graphs and say, OK, how much force are we producing? How fast is that force being produced at within a certain time frame and what is that force in the certain time frame so again the left and upward shift will enable the athlete to produce greater forces in a shorter period of time ultimately improving their explosiveness and there's ways to do that and I will discuss that in, in a bit here and research has also identified that rate of force development has been directly linked with performances such as jumping weightlifting sprinting golf swings and pitches suggesting that better rate of force can lead to better athletic performance. And I just said this a little bit earlier, you might not be a starter, but having a better quality for rate of force is going to get you the opportunity to present yourself because you look better. You move more efficiently and quickly, right? You're producing force fast, which means you'll be able to change direction more uh, efficiently. You'll be able to accelerate more efficiently. And, and why is that? Well, the improvement is likely due to tendon stiffness. And I'm not talking about your muscles feeling tight. That's something completely different. Tendon stiffness, there's a few things here. There's mechanical stiffness, which is when the tendons become stiffer, a more robust system. And then there's vertical stiffness, where when you're watching somebody run from the lens of a camera, left to right, when they enter the camera lens or when they exit the camera lens, if you were to draw a straight line across where the hip enters the lens to where it exits, if there's less waving 
or bouncing up and down, whatever it is. There's less of that. There's more vertical stiffness. Hey, the tendons are stiff. This person can produce force and move and stay on a straight line. I'm snapping my fingers if you hear that clicking in the back. My bad. If someone is showing a lot of bouncing or up and down movement as they run, their hips are not on that straight line when they enter the lens to when they exit. There's a lot of compliancy in the tendon. Basically, it's not a good rubber band. And the analogy I love to use, there's two analogies I love to use. One, I always use this analogy with the foot. The foot is like a diving board. The stiffer the springs on the diving board, the more propulsion it's going to give you when you jump. Not Well, not jump off the diving board. More propulsion it's going to give when you you know, jump into the diving board and then it releases you at the top. A more compliant diving board is not going to give you that effect, right? And the other analogy I like to use, and you see this a lot in research, is that the body is a spring system, basically, more more so the calf muscle, the, the Achilles tendon structure is a spring system. Think about a spring, the ones you see on pens, shocks on a car, right, things like that. The more stiff the spring, the harder it is going to be to just compress with just the bare hands. But say you can compress a very stiff spring, sort of like shocks in a car. If you could compress those all the way down to where they're all touching, and then you suddenly release it, that's a lot of energy going out. That thing's going to propel something so damn far and out. The power output is amazing. The time it's going to take for that force to get out is very minimal. Because of the stiffness that it has, right? It's very powerful. It's robust. It's very stiff. Versus a spring in a pen. It's very stiff. Yeah, you can compress the hell out of it. You let it go. It's going to shoot out. But it's not going to shoot out as far as a spring from a car because that's more stiff. Or let me use a better example here. And I might just submit my age to you. A slinky. We all know what a slinky is. We had them in the 90s, right? That thing is so compliant. There's no energy. There's no stiffness to it. There's no elastic energy going back out right so there's no power being produced so there's no stiffness in it is basically what I'm saying I'll give you another analogy we all know those little perform better bands we have them in every weight room they're green blue black let's talk about the black one right so that's very tense when you first have it brand new out of the bag say you've used it over one calendar year every day and then you open up another one 365 days later that brand new one's going to have way more stiffness to it than the one that's been used for over a year. It's going to be a little more compliant because it's been stretched. It's been using exercise with it, you know, lateral band walks and stuff like that. So if you were to slingshot a tennis ball or a lacrosse ball with it, the brand new one's going to slingshot the ball a lot more further than the older one, the one that's been being used for a year. Why? Because, well, there's more elastic energy stored in there. So same thing I'm talking about here with tendon stiffness, right? More elastic energy occurs with a more stiff tendon. There's also enhanced force production and increases in neural drive during the early phase of rate of force development. And then lastly, I want to touch on is training both ends of the force velocity spectrum. So by training only one part of the force time curve, let's say maximal strength because we see a lot of it. It's likely that the athlete's only going to improve their performance at that section of the paradigm. So, for example, only training max strength may lead to improvements in force production. But it's also going to result in a reduction in time to achieve that force. Because a 90% on the bench press, might you might have to grind that rep out. 
right? You have to grind that rep out. It's going to take maybe three to four seconds to get that bench up. Maybe five, maybe six seconds if you're really grinding that rep out. Now, I wouldn't <laughs> suggest lifting over that period of time per, for one rep, but you get what I'm saying. Versus using a load at, let's say, 50% with one chain on each side, we could produce force faster. And now that we have chains on the bar, we can accelerate throughout 100% of our range of motion. We're not decelerating the range at halfway up. And we can produce force faster. That's what I mean with training the force velocity spectrum on both ends there. You don't just want to stick to one side. Because doing too much maximal strength training is going to make you great at maximal strength training. You're going to be strong. You're going to lose out on rate of force. The ability to develop a lot of force in a very short period of time. That initial phase is so critical in sports that we just we can't lose it because that's going to be the difference between in a 100-meter sprint, someone finishing first and someone finishing fourth at just 0.08 milliseconds behind. And it's a, that's a very critical statement I just made, but I'm just trying to make some comparison or analogy. So what are some things I've done in the past personally? Well, I remember with my volleyball team back at Fordham, we would do quarter pin press squats, or just pin squats if you want to call them that. Uh, every individual, obviously different heights, but we would use weights from 95 to about 120% of their max because I really wanted to overload the girls and get a lot of force production out of them while also moving the weight fast and not being a full range of motion squat so they'd be able to get both movements there now obviously you're not going to be able to move a heavy weight fast but if it's just a partial range and you're starting at the bottom of the partial range so there's no eccentric involved where you, the rate of force is going to be pretty quick so we improved our vertical jumps throughout the season I remember there was a point by like week 8 girls were PR and in vertical jumps in season which is good. Now, there's a lot of things involved there, practice and stuff, but that was just a method I implied that year that worked. Another thing I've done with my baseball players in the past was with our sumo deadlifts, we'd stay with a certain weight with our gym awareness that can identify how, how much force are we producing at a certain speed, and then we'll stay with that weight and continue to produce more force at a faster rate of speed. With football guys, we'll get them on chain squats, chain bench, um, and just explosive plyos throughout the course of the summer, preseason and season, just to continue to hammer in that rate of force. And then that was something we hammered a lot last year in the summertime and helped us become a very fast football team. And I, I'm going to continue to say fast as FCS team in the nation. But a lot of speeds I like to keep in-house, but go back and look at the film. We were running by a lot of people. And the proof is right there. So that's my episode on rate of force development so I hope you took something away hope you learned something hope I refreshed something in your brain about training that you probably haven't thought about in a while if you want to continue the conversation please feel free to reach out to me Instagram, Twitter, text message if you got that thanks for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode